Hello everyone and welcome to this endeavor called Artifications. It's a play on the word gentrification, where normally an area made hip by a burgeoning artistic presence entices their more affluent neighbors to move into the area, thereby displacing the artists with rising rents. The stories we bring to light are prefaced with a foray into local history and packed with on-site interviews and timeless quotes. We want you to enjoy what we do. We encourage you to get involved. It all begins at artifications.us or email us directly at connect at artifications.us. Gain special access to our extended interviews and provide integral feedback on what you hear and what you would like to hear. And with that, this is Artifications. I am Roland Ramos. Denver was founded along the banks of the South Platte River on the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in 1858. Spurred into existence by the gold rush, tens of thousands of settlers moved into this lush area, crisscrossed by rivers and streams, and became the first residents of this fledgling frontier town. By 1865, the gold rush had ended. Property value was in the gutter, and what was once a bustling boomtown of over 100,000 had dwindled to just over 3,500. What hardy men the city had left had been swept up in the frenzy that was the Civil War. At the conclusion of the war, Denver had emerged unscathed, and little by little the population returned to the city. Residents, resilient as ever, returned their focus on growing the stature of their fair city. Even Thomas Durant, then vice president of the Union Pacific Railroad, pronounced Denver to be a city too dead to bury. Not a good sign. Denverites once again rose to the occasion. A cadre of city business leaders teamed up with then Colorado Territorial Governor John Evans and wealthy East Coast investors to suss out the details on connecting the West and East through Denver. In 1869, the Golden Spike moment occurred in Utah celebrating the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad. It was just a few short years later, a traveler could embark a train on the East Coast and disembark on the West Coast. Order fell upon the town. The next 100 years would be a period of challenging growth, which included many fires, vigilante uprisings, apocalyptic dust bowls, a silver boom, and a silver bust. Here I was in Denver. I stumbled along with the most wicked grin of joy in the world, among the bums and beat cowboys of Larimer Street. Jack Kerouac. Today, Denver is a far cry from the Denver of its past. As the state capital of Colorado, it has retained its scenic beauty, but has expanded to annex a number of surrounding towns and villages. Let me put it this way. If you wanted to traverse the city of Denver by car, it would take you half hour to drive end-to-end -end on the highway. The city of Denver touts eight distinct art districts within their city limits. The Arts District of Santa Fe, the Golden Triangle Museum District, the Tennyson Street Cultural District, the Block 7 Arts District, the Navajo Arts District, South Street, Pearl District, and 40 Arts West. But like that fabulous quote from Jack Kerouac, we are going straight to the streets. First stop, 
Santa Fe Drive. Just a short walk south from city center, and you will find Denver's busiest storefront art district. Between 11th and 7th Street, you'll find the highest concentrations of art-focused businesses. A number of cooperative galleries service the local art community. They exist side by side with their more commercial neighbors, creating a real community feel with enough creative stops to keep even a tough-nosed art critic occupied. And it was then I came upon the Union Block building with a large glass storefront. And right above that, written in bright red letters, reads Denver Art Society. We are a venue for all ages, all forms of expression. There is no censorship here. I was thankful to meet with some of the administration. My name is Grace Noel. I'm a painter and printmaker at the Denver Art Society. Um, well, the Denver Art Society was started in 2009. It's been, it was originally established as a um, education center to help pick up the slack where, uh, no, sorry, for funding for the education in the public schools for arts and music had started being cut all across the state of Colorado. So Denver Art Society was founded in effort to pick up the slack of that lack of funding. It's been an entirely volunteer organization since its conception and establishment. It was originally started in this building that was condemned in the Santa Fe Arts District. Two of the founding members found the building and were able to find other people to help them. They went through and they raised the funds for the building to help bring it up to code so that they could make it into an education center. So then it existed as an education center for a while. They um, kind of ran out of funding for the project. Meanwhile, there was a co-op that was established under the Denver Art Society. And that co-op ended up being able to pay the bills for the building, the utilities, and um, brought in artists and patrons on First Fridays. Christian Sims is my name. We have a small kind of active community of about 50 people. Uh, but then we have a larger mailing list of 4,000 and some odd people, which you know I'm very, very interested in how um, we can keep that part of our community, um, get them more involved um, in the Denver Art Society because that's a powerful amount of people. My name is Mark Stanger. Uh, my role with the Denver Art Society is I am a community builder. Um, I consider it my vocation and I would be, I guess, considered music director. I am on the steering committee as well. And I'm a visual artist here. Uh, I feel um, I feel really good. I mean, to be honest, it's my busiest day of the month. As far as the energy for preparation, um, the whole gallery gets cleaned that morning. And a lot of people are here, you know, all day. And people are walking the galleries from, you know, 2 to 5. And then at, at 6, the crowd starts to come and the music starts. And it, it gets pretty full upstairs, you know. And there's an energy and there's a... A lot of beautiful people walking around, beautiful in all ways, you know. It's just, oftentimes at the end of the night I feel relief. If everything went well, I feel very much a sense of accomplishment. If 
we sell a lot of art or if I help someone sell a five or six hundred dollar piece of art, it makes me beam inside. Um, I, just, I love, I just, I don't know if I love selling art, I just love helping my friends. And if I help my friends sell art, that makes me happy. So, you know, maybe it's the foxhole mentality, but maybe I do love selling art. I don't know. Santa Fe Drive. It's so unassuming when you're walking its streets during the day, you would never know that once a month, the streets are closed off and the galleries are deluged with art goers. Throughout the day, an average of three to five thousand people descend upon this collection of galleries and transforms Santa Fe into one large art party. It's wonderful for the artists. But what does this mean for the residents of this part of town? It's an, inter it's an interesting area uh, down here in Santa Fe. I, I mean, historically, I suppose it's, it's known for being the arts district. It's a gallery-oriented, and you see it on those first Fridays. Um, it's hard for me to park. If I leave and go to the supermarket and come back, my spot's gone. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people walking around down here. Uh, my name's Adam Carsons. I'm known in these parts as Cybe which is a P-S-Y-B-E, the E is silent, and I am a science fiction illustrator, graphic designer, musician. Cat daddy. Yeah. As a recent transplant from the East Coast, I'm interested in Adam's point of view as an outsider coming into a busy, established art scene and where he thinks it may be headed. Uh, let's see, it's going on about three or four years now. Uh, I moved here from Brooklyn. I've been living there for a couple of years, and I grew up in northern Jersey. And, and it's nice. It's mostly young people. It seems like young people, you know, intelligent people, people that are interested in the arts. Um, other than that, during the rest of the month, it's dead down here. It's very quiet. It's silent at night, which is, you know, a trip because I live, you know, we live maybe, you know, 10 blocks from downtown, you know. And uh, it's, it's a very quiet, quiet neighborhood. Other than the first Fridays. As first Fridays come and go, residents of Denver enjoy bouncing around their vast city in search of artistic venues. All the while, the creeping specter of gentrification ushers their artists to the periphery of affordable and convenient Denver. While Santa Fe Drive has proven to be the it place in the midst of all these diverse, sprawling scenes, could there be a shift of focus? The crowds that I think you would suspect would be down here all all month for the arts, I see up at Rhino now. I see them all up in the River North District. Um, all of those spots are popping up. Uh, little kind of hipster foodie eateries and little micro galleries, big galleries. You know, glass, huge glass storefronts. Uh, kind of Nietzsche kind of high end, overpriced clothing boutiques and modernist, you know, uh, furniture galleries and all the all the sorts of stuff. I think that this historically, uh, the Santa Fe area, I mean, I'm not a historian on the area, I'm still kind of fairly new, but um, it seems like it had its time. And, you know, here you have the local, you know, folky kind of art, all the, you know, people that live up in Boulder that paint barns and oils and things of the sort, you know, the folky Americana stuff is here. You know, the Colorado, what I would consider the Colorado arts, the local arts, that's all down here. Um, all the all the contemporary new 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 that's all up in Rhino and I think 
Uh, I had an opportunity uh, to show some art here at New Conscious Gallery. I was contacted for a solo show when I was still living in Brooklyn. And I had visited here, uh, Denver, and the Boulder area briefly about a year before that. Uh, I loved it. I fell in love with the mountains. It seemed like a pretty, uh, you know, lefty kind of neo-liberal community. Um, very much unlike the East Coast in Brooklyn, but it, you know, it had a lot of quirks and, you know, just all-around sweetness that, like, really attracted me. It seemed like life's a little easier and I can still live here in the city, but the ideology is a little more relaxed. And it seemed like a haven for arts, you know, the artists at the time. I, uh, when I got here, I saw, you know, murals everywhere, beautiful galleries downtown. It just seemed like an attractive move. I ended up doing it and uh, did the show here, uh, ended up doing another show and another show, and decided just to stay. The gallery in question is the New Conscious Gallery. Located in the heart of the River North Arts District, a.k.a. Rhino, New Conscious Town's a collection of highly detailed and colorful transcendental or what outsiders may call visionary art. We sit down with Kurt Redeker. Kurt Redeker, R-E-D-E-K-E-R. To hear the story of his gallery and how it came to land in the heart of Rhino. Uh, I'm the owner uh, and founder of New Conscious, as well as one of the one of the artists. Well, uh, about seven years ago, I was um, I got laid off, um, and uh, I was able to take you know unemployment. And I had a good friend that put me up in his spot, so I was able to kind of just start working on some music posters and uh, in that music scene, doing some some art in there, uh, logos and whatnot, identity. And then I uh, I kind of started uh, doing this. Um, I don't know this vibrational work. I, I, you know, experimented with some some mind expansers and and uh, you know I saw some visions that I thought that I could emulate via the computer. So I started studying that. Um, about seven years ago, I went to uh, Peru on a on a uh, scholarship program for a piece of art that I did um, to a center down there called Chimbre. And under the guidance of the you know ayahuasca, I was able. I was told basically to start this this gallery. With that being said, it's kind of how it started to begin. Um, a lot of the stuff that's that's that you see here, from the name New Conscious to the artwork that I do, has all been things of ideas from others that I that I hear. So I, uh, you know, I'm open to to those suggestions. It started actually just with my name, um, and then I pulled out a, a friend of mine. You know, he. Uh, had this idea for this, you know, I was going to call my thing like KR Design or some cheesy thing like that, and, and uh, I got a call from my friend Mike Walters, and he said, uh, you, should, you should actually really um, think about this name New Conscious, and I said, New Conscious, you know, that's, that's kind of that's goofy, you know, and he says, no, no, not N-E-W, K-N-E-W, like you already knew it, you're not trying to explain the consciousness, you're trying to reconnect the consciousness. And that's how kind of the name started, and then the space came after the name, and then my artwork, you know, was going on a little bit before we got the space, but, uh, um, you know, that's kind of how it unfolded. I had two spaces that I was interested in. One was right there on 8th and Santa Fe. It was a gallery, super cool spot, um, and then I found this, this place. And the guys upstairs, like-minded uh, productions, they were, uh, they're, uh, you know, a printing company as well as they handle a lot of the street art that's happening out here and good friends of mine. And they said that this space was opening up. 
you know, after thought and whatnot, I wasn't exactly sure what I, what I was planning on doing, what I was going to do, but I did know that I wanted to bring, have a spot that was more of a destination because then I realized that if, by coming to a destination, that those people really wanted to be here. I didn't want to have the, you know, the cow train of all the people walking through my gallery not having really a, a purpose of being there besides the free wine and beer from the Santa Fe Walk. So that's basically when I, I decided to, you know, lock in the space here um, and start New Conscious with right in the middle of what they would call the industrial ghetto. You know, when I moved in six and a half years ago here is when, um, you know, like a year later, things started really starting to, you'd feel like a movement happening. Um, it wasn't until about three years ago that I think is when it really started to kick off over here. But it's, uh, you know, it's a much different place now. You know, this is what I consider to be the, the hub of the, the movement that's happening here in Denver, the style we're we're kind of making our we're putting our our own you know stamp on this on this movement that's happening. I mean, I think Santa Fe was the start, you know. But you got to go and understand a lot of those galleries down there are part of that. And, and don't take this the wrong way, no disrespect, but it's part of that cowtown mentality that has been Colorado's kind of name for forever. You know, this is not a culture place. Um, you know, it, it it hasn't moved yet around the culture. And this is Rhino Art District, and this is, I believe, where the culture movement is happening. And it all started with, of course, the music industry here um, up in Boulder with the Fox Theater and the Boulder Theater. Those were two, you know, um, influential movements that were happening, bringing different names here. And, of course, you know, uh, Faye, who did Red Rocks, you know. Those are the things that I think that kind of really started pinpointing. And then, obviously, the marijuana movement. And then... By having that money from marijuana and making it legal has allowed people in Rhino, the artist, to not have to go get that nine-to-five job because they were able to, you know, do other extracurricular activities to kind of pay for their arts. And that's basically what I believe the movement is kind of based around now. Um, do I think that we're going to try to sit with Santa Fe? Or, Of course, man, we're sitting right side with all of them. Um, it's all part of the same movement. It's just uh, I think this is maybe a different step, you know, from that that what we learn there or 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 whatnot but this is i think this is its own kind of entity you know, you know you got brighton boulevard and you got larimer and you got walnut you got blake and you got these major these major sit these streets that are coming from right directly from lower downtown and we're only maybe eight blocks away from that lower downtown area so it is a walking area to get here from what i saw five years ago to what we are now it's monumental but from five years from now i think it's just going to be even more so you know, and that, that leads me to, the, like, the scary part of things. I, you know, I don't want to see the people that created this area be pushed away from this area because if that happens, then guess what happens? That just turns into every nook and cranny that's, that's full of the strip malls and the Starbucks and everything else that takes that individuality presence from, from it. And I want to keep this place special, you know. We're trying to grow with the times. We're not going anywhere. Um, I know that some of the other people that are on this block that we communicate with, you know, regularly, um, they're not going anywhere either. And we're trying to work together more so now than ever to kind of keep that bond going, keep this a special area. There is no doubt of the immensity that is the River North Arts District. It was given the cute acronym RHINO and immediately redistricted to connect directly with downtown Denver. All over the area, you see orange rhinos in the windows, denoting their active participation in the changing social scene. Most shops celebrate art in a big way by uh, showing rotating exhibitions or allowing artists to create murals on their walls and storefronts. You know, for, First Fridays is a big deal in Denver, but Final Fridays, have you heard of Final Fridays? 
Final Fridays is really what happens. It's bigger up here, would you say? We, we the have... term Final Fridays was coined by John McCaskill. Uh, my name is John McCaskill. Um, M-C-C-A-S-K-I-L-L. To his credit, Final Fridays was created specifically to engage the greater Denver population, not just with a new date, but a new monthly event focused on music venues and fundraising. His rising tide lifts all ships business model helped to fund a number of bands and DIY venues in the area, including his own business, Megafauna. I am the proprietor and uh, CEO at Megafauna here. Um, I also am the co-founder and uh, CEO at Final Friday. My role here at the SOAR is sort of, uh, I I jokingly like to say, I'm sort of like the gargoyle. I look at myself as a sort of uh, protector of the creative agent that flows through here. John and Don Dashney. We're joined by Denver artist Coco Byer at the Megafauna space on Blake Street to discuss the shifting scene. Megafauna was probably the beginning of the, one of the first in the Rhino neighborhood before it was Rhino. Um, maybe, what, seven, eight years ago it started? Right. On, on 27th and Larimer was the original location of Megafauna. Which is kind of the, the epicenter of what is Rhino now, like, if... Uh, you were telling someone where to go in Rhino, that's probably where you would send them, would be at 27 and Larimer. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was different. Uh, growing up, uh, you did not drive through this neighborhood. Uh, you just didn't. I remember when I was uh, about 13, my cousin. So we cut through five points one time. I remember he stopped at a stop sign. The cop pulled us over, and he said, you don't ever stop at a stop sign in this neighborhood because you'd get car, carjacked. I mean, that's basically how it worked. Yeah. Um, over in Rhino, like the first Friday scene is is different than it is on Santa Fe. It's like the Santa Fe Art District is where First Friday has always been, and it's just a zoo. I mean, it's like tons of people, and it's packed. You can't park anywhere, and it's like a big party. Um, but because of that, that really is a magnet for most of the people are going to go, they're not going to go there and then probably go around. Uh, and so it's really not as big in Rhino as it is in the Santa Fe Art District. And what Don was saying before is the final Friday has kind of taken over as being this alternative to that. And uh, like someone gave the analogy that like artists are like compost, you know, like we go in first and get everything going and like everything starts growing getting out growing out of the ground and then it's like people move in and it's like and then eventually it's like oh, we don't want that compost on our sidewalk you know? like and uh and then we have to go find the next neighborhood you know to compost and, and, and in, uh, in denver at this time you know, there's there's very few neighborhoods to go to everything is is expensive if you want to be in the right. metropolitan well, area Right. The thing that made that happen, you know, has been a really positive for Colorado, which has been the weed industry. But the weed industry being out there has swallowed up like all the excess warehouse, kind of all those areas that would have, you know, been where we started setting up studios and things like that. And so there's been a lot less of that kind of space available, which just puts more and more pressure on the necessity to evolve. Um, And that is why 
the name megafauna. Um, much like the prehistoric beasts of the past, uh, some were able to evolve and they're still around. Um, I think that man, mankind, as it were, is kind of the new megafauna. We are the big beasts and some are able to adapt and move on and some are being left behind. Artists across the United States generally flock towards regional centers. We're talking about the New Yorks, the Chicagos, the Denvers, the San Francisco's. As often as they arrive, establishing artists find themselves marginalized to the outskirts of these cities, where community takes on a whole new meaning. The do-it-yourself movements, or DIY movements, are born from such circumstances, where sweat equity is the norm and survival is the goal. But no one enters into this expecting to meet an early demise. And I just want to warn you, as difficult as it might be to listen to this next part, it is important in the context of the larger discussion. On December 2nd, 2016, a fire broke out in a DIY art space in Oakland, California, named Ghost Ship. Before fire ripped through 4,000 feet of warehouse late Friday night, the Oakland Ghost A popular DIY live-work art space that housed up to 20 artists. In the chaos that followed the large, uncontrollable fire, 36 people lost their lives. All of them but one were under 40 years of age. Reverberations were felt all over the country. Overnight. Authorities went into action assessing the integrity of DIY communities everywhere, shutting down venues as needed, displacing innumerable artists, and assuaging a national sense of guilt over this senseless tragedy. That same wave, inexorably moving east, crashed onto the shores of the Denver art community. Okay, so my name is John Gross. It's J-O-H-N-G-R-O-S-S. And I am the leaseholder of Rhinoceropolis. You know, I was in a position where my lease was up and I had just broken up with my girlfriend and I was like, what do I got to lose? So that was like the end of 2010, beginning of 2011. Nobody nobody cared as long as the... As long as there wasn't any emergencies or issues, and we kind of policed ourselves. Okay, and all, all that's changed now. <laughs> well, personally, two friends of mine died. Cash Askew and Jason McCarty, personal friends of mine that I booked at Rhinoceropolis that played in my living room. And they were personal friends of mine that, you know, I'm still, I'm still trying to process that, you know. And, and a lot of what I'm going through today is just getting used to the fact that I'm not going to see them again. And everybody else in that group of 36 that died, when I look on Facebook and look at their profiles, it's 30, 40, 60 friends in common. You talk about six degrees of separation, like every single person on that list that died in that fire. It's a close community. That I would say what we were part of here in Denver is uh, an international network. And everybody in the DIY scene had somebody that they knew that perished in that fire. Um, I just, I didn't think that uh, less than a week it would be impacting me so closely as it did. So that was, what did we say, the 2nd? And then it was on the 8th of December that I was visited by the police and the fire department 
and told to leave that my place was unsafe. You know, they were really professional. I would, I would say they were very professional about it, but they made no, they, they made no, uh, you know, hesitation to tell me like, okay, we're gonna have to have everybody leave. And they put a red tag on my building, which is the, the do-it-yourself ethic. That's entirely where we're coming from. The community has just come out of the woodwork to help us when when we had a crisis I've been getting more help than I know how to coordinate and uh, from the beginning you know we were always trying to stay low-key and do it ourselves but I think today the way that we have to have to operate today what is it uh, January 2nd 2017 it's, it's more like do it together I would say that's our new thing let's do it together we're in this together so anyway, you know, I, I, you know, Rhino, Rhino was the first one to get hit, and then after Rhino was another spot called Tech House, and they got hit on Friday. So Thursday, Friday was hit, and then on Saturday night it was New Conscious. Um, they red flagged Rhino and they red flagged um, Tech House, but with us, we, uh, you know, we had uh, something a little bit different than those guys. We weren't living and working here; we were just working and creating here. I want to provide a safe space. I think when I first spoke to you yesterday, you asked about. It. I said I welcome the scrutiny. I do. I want to have. The scrutiny. I want people to know it is a safe place, and I want to have that—not reputation, but I want to have that standing in the community that people know that we are DIY, but we're also on board with so repercussions. I've felt safe um, and just um, the sadness for the loss of life. Really, I mean, that's really the main repercussions that I felt because uh, you know I know that those people were you know weren't going out saying that you know they're not going to come home that night. So, um, so it's. Uh, um, I, you know, I understand it's a morning period, and like I said, I welcome the scrutiny, and I don't want, I want people to know that they can have a DIY space and have a space to be creative and be, do what they want to do, but it, it doesn't have to be on the down low, it doesn't have to be on the underground, it can be right out in the streets and involved in the community that way, and, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you know what it is, it's, it's, it's this awareness that there are certain things from a business standpoint that is very difficult to have to face and acknowledge about something. It's also difficult, you know, for uh, the awareness that those of us that have been marginalized already because of the creative culture, is that's where it lives, is sort of in those corners, those shadows, and, and recognize the responsibilities that all, all play into this. On a whole, I mean, if I could just throw an umbrella over the whole thing, it's, it's the capitalist structure in general that is conflicting with creativity and always seems to have been this way. We like to say that we're at a good intersection here at the store to do this, but it is not without, you know, its challenges. For me personally, it was sort of an indicator as it has happened in history before. You can look back to the marginalization of creative communities in other cultures in the past, in the 19-teens, in the 20s, in the 30s. This has happened time and time again, um, where they push the marginalized groups out, and they use that for their own gain. And in this light, uh, this has happened directly, it wasn't what, a, a week or two after, that the DIY community in Denver uh, was under attack Artists were being thrown out into the streets on the coldest nights that we've had in decades because suddenly the city doesn't want to be held responsible for 
another tragedy that could happen, which in their light is true. Uh, they should be doing that. And the method in which they do these things is the thing that is very difficult to digest. If you are a business owner, you have the responsibility to make sure that there are safe structures. And a lot of these places, unfortunately, cannot be built this way because they're thrown together in a way so that it is affordable so that they can continue to move forward. We are actually fourth dimensional beings in a third dimensional body inhabiting the second dimensional world. Neil Cassidy. The streets of Denver can be tough and thick with snow. But time and time again, their people show themselves to be educated, open-minded, and adventurous. Neil Cassidy, himself an educated person, reflects the city of Denver in so many ways. Both have a storied past, both grew fully aware of their own strengths and limitations, and both persevered humble beginnings by building lines of communication all throughout the world. One with steel wheels and the other with Ken Kesey and the further bus. Both led to the eventual betterment of America. If Neil Cassidy's quote on fourth dimensional beings in a third dimensional body inhabiting a two dimensional world sounds a bit abstract and perhaps a bit enticing, my first suggestion is to make some time to visit Denver and find out for yourself. Special thanks to Rachel, August, and Ashley for your hospitality and continued friendship. Thank you to all the galleries who made this possible, the coffee shops and bars that acted as my offices. Special thanks to Mark Stenger for use of his awesome music that you can hear for yourself at SoundCloud slash Mr. Doctor. That's one word. Props to the DAS stage crew. I look forward to playing that stage again in the near future. And special thanks to Web Tigers for holding down our web presence. For more about Denver and to hear extended interviews, check out artifications.us. I love working with Web Tigers. I mean, I thought I knew it all. That is, until I had a conversation with her, and she broke it down into three main parts I won't ever forget. Website design, social media management, and most importantly, content. As a social media Luddite, it's the Tigris approach that helps us and many others communicate effectively with our social media public. I particularly enjoy the ease of communication while discussing such topics as developing your personal brand reach. You can get a great deal just for being a listener of this podcast by visiting webtigers.com slash artifications. Webtigers, your first and last stop for successful web strategies.